0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. As I said, we're celebrating Pentecost, and it has been said already, and I'm going right back into the Old Testament to begin. As you can tell from uh, from the title, I don't know if anybody's seen a title like that before, the New Covenant and Pentecost. There was the Abrahamic covenant, as we talked about several weeks ago. God had promised that he would make a nation of his descendants. He said that that nation, he would give them a piece of land. And he said he would situate them right there in the center where the three continents met so that they could infect or affect and influence the nations around and be a blessing to all the nations, because God cares about the nations. He loves people. He loves all of them. And he, so he situated them. He removed the peoples that were living in that land because of their wickedness. Uh, it had become so intolerable. Things like they were sacrificing their children alive on fires. It had be, become an abomination to God. Uh, but then he, he gave it to the Israelites and he warned them that if they would do the same, if they disobeyed him, he would, he would throw them out as well. He's a just God. He treats everyone alike. And uh, so anyway, uh, so you had the Abrahamic covenant, then you had the Mosaic covenant. You know, 400 years later, they move into, uh, they're birthed out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness. He meets with them immediately after that at Mount Sinai and draws up a covenant and a constitution as a nation. This is how you're going to behave and this is what you're going to do. This is how it's going to work. And then he was going to take him into the promised land. And he said, I'm going to bless you if, you if you obey me so that you can be a blessing to the other nations because he cares about the other nations, as we'll see. And then he said, but if you disobey, then I'm going to throw you out just like I threw them out. That was his warning to them. And, uh, 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 that, that, you know, that's amazing how, how just he is, isn't it? The, but what we do know is from the scriptures scripture doesn't varnish the truth ten times they tested him in the in the wilderness ten times and uh, their sentence was that they remained in the wilderness for an additional thirty eight years for a total of forty years and all the adults from that generation died they could not go into the promised land Moses actually was included in that but uh, not only did the people fail, the leaders failed. We talked all about that. And uh, uh, their failure was huge. And because of it, Israel was exiled by Assyria in 722 BC. And Judah, the southern kingdom, because they had been split due to their disobedience, that was the disobedience of Solomon, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, went into Babylonian in exile only about a hundred, just over a hundred years later. And it looked like, just like God had warned them. And it looked like the promises to Abraham had failed. No nation, they were in exile. No land, they were out of the land. And now they couldn't be a blessing to the nations. It looked like it was over. The whole thing had failed. (laughs) God is never surprised by any of these things. In fact, 300 years before they even went into exile, He already spoke to David before that whole line of kings who had failed, and he promised David uh, that he would give David a righteous divine king, we talked all about that, who would sit on David's throne forever. That solved half the problem. Remember we said people were a problem? The leaders were a problem. He needed a good leader. Well, he got one. (laughs) God... God said through David, he said, I'm going to give you a righteous divine king because only a divine king can, is going to, going to keep the law. So that took care of the leadership problem. He said one day there's going to be that kind of a leader. The second thing he said was this. He said, we've got to solve the problem of the people. Their hearts are no good. They, they just don't know. They can't obey. And so they can't stay in the land. So they can't be a blessing to the nations and the nations can't be saved. And so, um, God came came up with another covenant called the New Covenant. By the way, none of these things surprised him. He, He had this, this is an entire plan, this is a story, this is a plan that he had in eternity past. But he was playing it out for us, not for him, but for us so that we would understand. And in the New Covenant, Israel was an, ex- uh, and you've got to understand this, he gives the new covenant while they're in exile. They're not in the land. They're, they're not a nation. They're not in the land anymore. And they're not being a blessing to the nations. The nations are shaking, wagging their heads and saying, whatever happened to this, this, uh, this nation, Israel. And while they're there, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel did it in exile, the Isaiah and Jeremiah started saying it before, they, just before they went into exile, Ezekiel continues it while they're in exile, and they announced a new covenant to solve the people problem, and uh, so that's where we're going to pick it up. The new covenant uh, promised, was promised in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah said, remember this was before they went into exile, but just before they went into exile, the northern kingdom was already there. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Pick up on that and don't forget what I just read. He said, I'm going to make the new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not with the, He didn't say with the Gentiles. Just, we'll leave that at that for now. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. It's going to be different than the Mosaic one. And, uh, and it, was, it would be different in three ways. Here is how it would be different. God will, inter- by the way, if you're getting upset because I haven't said much about spirit yet, hang on. I'm not finished. We're getting there. Here's the way it would be different. God will internalize the law by the Spirit. Under the Mosaic Covenant, the Holy Spirit came on a select few people, as we found out, to accomplish a task uh, which required supernatural endowment. You know, the judges, the kings, the priests, the prophets, and so on and so forth. And even some of the craftsmen. Now, while that purpose would always continue, kind of like our spiritual gifts, for purposes, God promised that under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit would be given for additional purposes. He said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. There was no problem with the law. Did you hear what I said? There was no problem with the law but with the people and the leaders, their hearts. The law had been etched on tablets of stone and in the book of the law, but God says he'll place it in their hearts, and Ezekiel tells us how. Ezekiel said, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel explicitly says that the solution is to place his spirit in the people so that they can make the law a part of the people's inner life. He wasn't saying that the Mosaic law was terrible. No, not at all. It represented who God was. But the problem with the Mosaic covenant was that it didn't enable them to live out what they were supposed to live. That was the problem. The coming of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant won't be just to fulfill a task like a prophet, king, or judge, but to indwell all God's people so they would be able to obey God's law. Interesting. They they would then be able to uh, or or remain forever faithful to God and never turn away again. Jeremiah said, uh, so that they will never turn away from me again as they had been. For hundreds of years, they kept turning away from them. And he said, I'll put my spirit in them so that they won't do it again. They'll obey me. With that ability, Israel will be able to remain in the land... And thus bless the nations, and it happens by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first way it was different from the Mosaic Law, the New Covenant. The second way was that God will remove sin by the Spirit. This is what I mean. Verse 34 of Jeremiah 31, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Forgiveness of sins, guilt, was available under the old covenant uh, through the sacrificial system. What's new in the new covenant is not forgiveness of guilt. What's new in the new covenant is the removal of the presence of sin. That's incredible. The sin principle, as the apostle Paul would later talk about. The Apostle Paul, by the way, wasn't coming up with all kinds of new things. He was basically preaching the Old Testament. And so did Jesus, by the way. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I will sprinkle clean water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. Isaiah said God would blot out their sins. Isaiah 43, verse 25. God will remove the presence of sin as an ongoing reality. Sin will be fully and finally abolished by the indwelling Holy Spirit. When that happens the people will be able to keep the covenant which is why there will be a thousand year millennial reign in which Israel is never thrown out of the land because they can keep the covenant. That's why. They couldn't, hard, they, they, they couldn't do it before. They will be able to. Under a new king, new people. More about that later. Number three, all Israel will know God by his spirit. God made the new covenant with all Israel. Again to Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31. The time is coming. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, because they were split, remember? God promised a new covenant for both kingdoms when they had gone into exile and they no longer existed as a nation. Can you believe it? What hope? It looked like it was over. And that's when God promises this new covenant. Yet God told Ezekiel that he would bring the nation back to life. God brought Ezekiel into the valley of dead bones, told him to prophesy to the bones, representing Israel, to come to life. These bones, Ezekiel said, are the whole house of Israel. Therefore, prophesy, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. They were in exile. He was an exilic prophet prophesying in Babylon somewhere. Then you, my people, will know that I'm the Lord. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. He said the nation's going to come back to life. And you will settle, and I will settle you in your own land. Notice that God then said that they would then know the Lord. He said you will know the Lord. In fact, God said through Jeremiah that all Israelites would know God. Did you hear what I just said let's read it no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying know the Lord because they will all know me you're not gonna need teachers thank goodness you're not gonna need me anymore and my imperfect teaching and the imperfect teaching of every other teacher that's ever lived because they will all know him that's what it says And he said this would happen by his spirit. According to the new covenant, a time is coming when all Israel will all be back in the land and all will know the Lord. That means they will all be saved. Can you imagine that? All Israel will be saved. They will all know Jesus, the Messiah. And Ezekiel said it will be accomplished by the spirit. The new covenant didn't tell us when this would happen, only that it would happen. Well, the new covenant was inaugurated at Pentecost. Just before the Passover, when Jesus was crucified, he shared the Last Supper with them. And here he announced the new covenant. And you know this passage well. It's often said at communion time. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus was referring back to what Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel had all been talking about. That's what he was talking about. And as we saw earlier, the New Covenant was made with Israel. So how is it that Christians are suddenly part of it? We we seem to not talk about that. Because this was made with the house of Judah and with the house of Israel. In fact, the whole house of Israel. It is by the fact that the salvation of the Gentiles was already part of the Abrahamic covenant. And the New Covenant enables its implementation in the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, I'm gonna make you a nation, I'm gonna put you in the land so that you are a blessing to all the nations. That the spiritual blessings that would come to Israel would be spread to all the nations and so we get to be part of it. Paul, which is why Paul could say that we Gentiles were grafted in. He said, but if some of the branches, that's the Jewish people, were broken off, some of them didn't believe, and you, although a wild olive shoot, that's the Gentiles he's talking to, because he's talking to the church in Rome, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. At that same supper, where Jesus talked about the blood and new covenant. Jesus then taught them about the Holy Spirit, which, as we already saw, was a big part of the New Covenant. Jesus wasn't coming up with something new. The New Covenant had been talking about it all along. He just expanded on it. Much of the Old Testament, that's what it's doing. It's expanding on what the Old Testament said, which is why we have to understand what the Old Testament says. John records Jesus teaching about the spirit he would send. He had just told him that, uh, not to be troubled. He told them that uh, what he would do when he went away, he said, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another counselor or comforter or advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Oh, you know what he's doing? He is referring to the new covenant. And he had just been talking about the new covenant. The Spirit had already anointed them to complete various tasks, like going and healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, just like in the Old Testament. They could, there was a bunch of those that had been given the Spirit for tasks. And we see it when the New Testament opens up and you got Zachariah anointed with the Spirit and you got John the Baptist and <clears throat> Elizabeth and Mary, Simeon, all says they had, had the Holy Spirit. Well, yes, because they were still under that Old Covenant, well, under the Old Covenant, and they had the Spirit resting anointing just like in the Old Testament readings. This is no different. And, um, and so the Spirit came on them. But now Jesus promised that the Spirit would be sent to be in them, all of them, and not just with them, not with some, but all of them and in them, just like the prophets had predicted. And after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, he remained on earth another 40 days to share his last lessons with them. and. Uh, with the disciples. And just before he ascended into heaven on the 40th day, he said this, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended into heaven. The 120 returned to Jerusalem where they continued in prayer for 10 days, and then... It happened. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, or mighty rushing wind, some translations say, came uh, from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Do you see how significant that is? All of them filled Spirit in them as the prophets had said about the new covenant. Wow, many get sidetracked by tongues here because they don't know the story. The phenomena are not the heart of this event. The fact that they were filled with the Holy Spirit meant that the Spirit was now in them, just like the prophets had predicted and like Jesus had promised. The phenomena were there to get everyone's attention and confirm the Spirit had indeed come, just like the dove isn't the main thing when the Spirit came on Jesus. The main thing is the Spirit was on Jesus. But it identified for John the Baptist that the Spirit had come on Jesus, as Isaiah had predicted. There were three great celebrations on earth, (laughs) all accompanied by supernatural phenomena when the spirit moved into a new residence. When his presence came to dwell in the tabernacle, the place was filled with smoke. When the spirit moved into the new temple, uh, Solomon's temple, it was filled with smoke again. They couldn't enter in. And now, when he came to dwell in new temples, the hearts of the people, just like the prophets had said, there was these phenomena again. The Spirit had come. Wow. So what were the Pentecost phenomena? Sound of a mighty rushing wind. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. 120 spoke with human languages unknown to men. uh, Unknown to them, I mean so that they could be understood by the 15 languages represented there. Wow! The fact that there is no evidence that these signs accompanied others in the New Testament who were baptized in the Spirit, and because we don't see any evidence of this in church history anywhere, or in the experience of other believers today, it leads us to conclude that this was a unique set of signs given by God to mark a unique event in salvation history. That's what's happening. And when the gathered Jewish crowd witnessed this, they were amazed. And they were bewildered, and they, they, they wondered what it meant. Peter rose to explain, reminding them that the prophets had spoken of this very day when the Spirit would be poured out on all God's people. And in his address, Peter quoted the prophet Joel. Interesting, these passages were read during the worship time. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Even on uh, on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. The day of Pentecost was certainly a remarkable transition in the history of the world because the new covenant had been inaugurated. This was the beginning of the new covenant. And when Peter finished telling them what had just happened, the crowd asked what they should do. Peter answered, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. Those two things. Forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. Where did he get that? That's what the prophets had said about the new covenant. Not just forgiveness of sin, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you believe, when you repent, you receive forgiveness and right standing with God, but you also receive the Spirit in you. That's the story of Pentecost, which was inaugurated from a promise made hundreds of years earlier, some 600 years earlier. Phenomenal, isn't it? Wow. And those were the two things that they received. And that is precisely what had been promised. But the proof is in the pudding, as they would say. Would this indwelling Holy Spirit change their behavior? See, people go, well, the evidence, uh, the evidence of the Holy Spirit uh, is those three things that we talked about with those 120. But guess what happened on Pentecost? It wasn't just 120 that the Spirit came on on Pentecost. There was 3,000 who were saved on the day of Pentecost. And their, did their behavior change? That had been the real problem with both the people and the leaders. They couldn't obey the Mosaic law. The new covenant promised that the Spirit would change that. Well, when Peter told them what they should do, repent that is, in order that they could receive forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit, 3,000 got saved. And, uh, And he says that. Now, Those 3,000 not only received forgiveness, but they they received the Spirit not only to carry out specific tasks. That idea had already been present in the Old Testament. No, not on everybody, but on some. What was really radical was that the Spirit would be in them and give them the ability to obey the laws. That was what was so radical. Did this happen to the 3,000? Well, let's read on. Verse 42 to 47. This is why he puts this in the Pentecost passage. He, Luke is trying to tell us something. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That doesn't sound like selfishness and self-centeredness, does it? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Unity, harmony, oneness, praising God and enjoying the favor of people. Of course they were enjoying the favor of the people. With that kind of behavior, this is not normal human behavior. Unfortunately, but it surely is wonderful, isn't it? And this was the fulfillment of what the prophets had predicted. It would change the hearts and behaviors. That's why Luke included it in the Pentecost passage. The, the real phenomena are not the tons of fire and speaking 15 languages and uh, the rushing mighty wind. The real phenomena is what we just read. It worked. The spirit was in them, and it was changing them radically. The prophet said predicted that, and uh, guess what the result was? Acts chapter 2, verse 47b, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Recall that God had promised Abraham to make his, uh, his seed into a nation, to give him land, so that they would be a blessing to everyone else but they couldn't keep the law. And the law, by the way, was summed up in two things. Love God, love people. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. The, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandments? That's what he said. By the way, that's your vision statement here at South Black. But you know what else Jesus said about that? Love God, love people. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's where I'm taking that from. He said, all the law and the prophets Hang on those two commands. He wasn't abolishing the the law, but what he said was now they had the ability to do it, to love God and to love people, which is what the laws were all about. Make sense? However, the uh, new covenant promised that not only would they be forgiven, they would receive it to uh, the Spirit to obey the law. And that was the proof the promised Holy Spirit had indeed come. It wasn't just bells and whistles. He changed hearts. Well, the new covenant will be fulfilled at Jesus' second coming. But wait, aren't we missing something? I mean, think about this now for a minute. Ah, I was reading parts of the New Covenant before. Didn't the New Covenant promise that sin would be eradicated? I mean, you get to chapter 5 of Acts, and you got Ananias and Sapphira lying. Who of us hasn't sinned? Who of us doesn't sin? Uh, that Israel would be saved and that Israel would be back in the land. That also was part of the New Covenant. Not just these, some of these things that we just talked about. What we'll now see is that the cross and Pentecost inaugurated the New Covenant. They didn't fulfill it, entirely fulfill it. They began to fulfill it, but they didn't complete the fulfillment. There is much more to come in the Spirit. At Pentecost, we got a down payment of the Spirit. That's what Paul says, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And to grasp this, we need to understand Israel's agricultural cycle. Now, the cycle began in fall with what they called the early rains. They were lighter rains. And it ended the dryness of summer, produced a a smaller harvest, like nuts and trees, uh, tree fruits and that sort of thing. So it would sustain the people. And the early rains also softened the ground so that the farmers could work it. They didn't have this heavy machinery that we have nowadays. You needed help from heaven. You You had to... uh, they needed those early rains just to soften it up so they could work it by hand. And um, after the early rains, farmers would, would work it and prepare for the second. Then in spring, so that was in fall, early rains, early harvest, little harvest, enough to keep eating and stuff to get them to the later springs, which were in spring, and the accompanying great harvest, wheat and barley, the, the main harvest, the big harvest, These were much heavier than the early rains, and they were critical because they prepared Israel's main crops. So you have two rains, two harvests. Two rains and two harvests. And uh, these were connected. Without the early rains, uh, you couldn't have the food to sustain them. And so that's what we have here. That's what first fruits is referring to. He's talking about early rains which bring first fruits, the light fruits, but then you have the later or latter rains which are much heavier and a much bigger uh, crop or harvest. And Paul used this metaphor to describe the present gift of the Spirit we enjoy compared to what we will all enjoy one day. He's saying Pentecost was the early rain. Not the latter rains. That means there's more to come. Paul referred to the early church as the first fruits of the coming harvest. God chose you as first fruits, he said to the church in Thessalonians, to be saved. The early church understood this. And they understood there would be a later rain coming with a later harvest. Peter's perspective of harvest is what caused... and, And by the way, they understood this. Uh, what I'm saying now this this the, they took this for granted that helps us to understand the way Peter uses the Joel prophecy we just like to you know we just like to quote the first part of Joel's prophecy there but he actually uh Peter quoted the entire thing and you scratch left scratch in your head how could he how could he say that That's what caused him to describe the outpouring of the Spirit as a manifestation of Joel's prophecy. Uh, This is, and now we're going to read it, okay? We're going to read it. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I'll pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. And that's sort of where we like to stop. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. There was none of that. The sun will be dark, uh, turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. Now he's talking about the end of age. Yes, and if you go to Matthew chapter 24, that's exactly what the disciples were talking to Jesus about. They said, when will, what's the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? I think it's verse uh, thir- 29, or, yeah, 29. It says, immediately after... those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will will not give its light, The, the stars will fall from the sky and and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Same thing. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the end of the age. So you say, but wait a minute. Joel predicted an outpouring of the Spirit accompanied by dramatic ends and Peter's using this. How can he be using it if it's referring to the end of the age? Because He's saying this is the early rain and there's more to come. Peter understood it. They understood it. By the way, do you know why they understood it? Because they understood scripture. They understood the Old Testament like we Gentiles don't. And so they understood exactly what he was saying because Joel 2:23 said, "Be glad, people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God." For he has given you the autumn rains, because he is faithful. See, there it is. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains. James also talked about it, James 5, 17. Joel reminded his readers that the Lord gave two rains, not one. And Peter recognized Pentecost as the early rain with the early harvest. He knew there was a heavier rain or spirit outpouring coming. That's why he wasn't afraid to quote Joel knowing that Joel was talking about the whole thing. <clears throat> With the recent explosion of population in the earth, a global revival could easily produce more Christians on the planet than are in heaven right now. The end times will not only be a time of great tribulation, but will also be the time of unprecedented harvest as the Holy Spirit is poured out. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine says, before me was a great multitude Uh, that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. Then just a few verses later, one of the elders asks him, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? This, this, This huge mass of people who are saved. Verse 14 says, I answered, sir, you know, and he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. That innumerable crowd, a multitude so so large, so vast, John says, that you can't even count it. That harvest comes out of the tribulation, which is just a short period of time. That's incredible, and the reason is because there's going to be a, an even greater outpouring. There's a later rain coming and an outpouring of the Spirit, and that's going to finish off the new covenant because all Israel will be saved, but that's for another series. <laughs> She'll be saved. <laughs> she'll be back in the land and she'll be saved. Think about it, 1900 years she wasn't. Well, she's in the, in the land now. She isn't a holy people. Uh, just like, like our countries aren't. But one day, all of them will know the Lord. And that's how Jesus, and, and, and Jesus will come. He'll save them from what's going to happen to them. And then he's going to be able to set up his millennial reign. And you're going to have a righteous king. And you're going to have righteous people to rule. And that's why they can stay for a thousand years. And that's what's coming. Uh, That's what's coming. Now, I'm going to conclude a little bit in a a little different way. I I hope this has given you tremendous hope and encouragement for what's coming. But you may be thinking about this series, Ray. Ray. Your teaching is so irrelevant for today, all this Old Testament stuff. If you think that, you couldn't be more mistaken. We Gentiles, we start reading our Bibles at chapter 15 out of 20 chapters. Do you know three quarters of our Bible is Old Testament? We Gentiles, we come along, we're a little arrogant, and we start reading at chapter 15. And that's why we come up with these erroneous conclusions about things, and we emphasize wrong things, and we get ourselves into trouble. Uh, Let me give you an example. A lot of people have missed what Pentecost is saying. Spirit in us. Not just to have spiritual gifts. Yes, yes, we're going to talk about some of those benefits and things in the next two messages. Yes, absolutely. But what the new covenant was, saying, was predicting was, and Jesus said this was the new covenant outpouring, was that it was going to enable us, this was the beginning of it, to live, sanct- to grow in sanctification and grow holy lives, grow our characters. The Holy Spirit makes that possible. That's remarkable. And so you have churches in the West that are full of people who raise their hands and get all excited about gifts and who live unholy unsanctified lives. That's why Christianity uh, today um, wrote an article um, back in March. You know what they said in America they had done a survey. In America 60 percent of white evangelicals and 70 percent of black evangelicals now believe that cohabitation outside America is perfectly fine. You see what I'm saying? Even in spirit-filled church, so-called churches, because we, we don't read what the scriptures are saying. We come up with our own conclusions. And so people talk about the gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost, those were languages. Empowered by the Spirit, no question, but that wasn't the thing. Here's the second one, grace versus law. Many say Old Testament is law, but now we're under grace. That's not true. It's patently false. The sacrificial system provided forgiveness. It was incredibly gracious. They could have a relationship with God because of the sacrificial system. God was patient and long-suffering with him in the Old Testament. He was patient with 19 evil Jewish kings for a period of 200 years, and he was another 100 years for the southern kingdom. Um, Even though he kept sending prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them, don't don't do this anymore or you will go into exile. He was patient and long-suffering. <clears throat> and he speaking of the, uh, and then they went into Assyrian exile, the Northern Kingdom, and speaking of the Assyrians, that's who the Ninevites were. And before they did that to Israel, do you know that they were some of the most cruel people on the planet? They would skin their victims alive. When when they when they they, they would skin them alive. They would impale them alive on poles and amputate them and leave them and they uh, had tremendous fear it was to those Nineveh, uh, Nineveh was, the, was the capital of those Assyrians it was to those people that God sent Jonah now you understand why Jonah wanted to run and God says Jonah you don't care about them, and I care about them because they don't know their right hand from their left hand that's what Jonah the story of Jonah is about The story of Jonah isn't about uh, uh, whether the whale, you know, whether he was in the whale for three days or not. Jesus says he was, and I believe it too. But we're missing it. He was concerned about the Gentiles. He was concerned about lost people. Not just the Jewish people. And he was gracious in the Old Testament. And do you want to see law in the New Testament? Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. Read his Sermon on the Mount or cut it out. That's law. In fact, he takes it to another degree. He said, if you you just look at a woman without carrying out adultery, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He took it to another whole level. Law was in the New Testament. Paul said that the law is good. And the New Covenant teaches that the Holy Spirit was given so that we could obey his laws. And that's why there's so many Christians that are changing their minds about what is sin and what is not sin and stuff with it. If they can't find it just specifically here or something, they say, see, it's a law. Law, that's Old Testament. God was vengeful. He's bad. blah blah No, he's gracious. And there's no law in the, in the New Testament. It's just the law of Christ. Yeah, the law of Christ. Do you know what it was? The law of Christ was he put the laws on our heart like the new covenant said and gave us the spirit to give us the ability to fulfill it. Yes, there were some obsolete ones. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. It was built right into the system. But what is happening is now our churches are filling with sin because of these erroneous ideas. And we're not. We can't be light to those around when we're exactly like they are. That was the problem in the Old Testament, and now we're repeating the same problem. And yet we have the Holy Spirit. And here's the final one. The Israel itself. The New Covenant told us that Israel will be a nation again and will be saved that is just as much, much a part of the new covenant as forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. Yet the reformers, in the reformation, they ignored this fact and the result was that in World War II, much of the church got on the wrong side of history, ignoring the Holocaust. Do you know that at the Nuremberg trials, some of the Nazis pointed to Martin Luther as a, def- as a defense for their atrocities? because of what he called Jews. He was an anti-Semite. Greater pressure is coming. The pressure is now starting to come. It's coming from the outside, from our culture, the bills that are being passed. And there's pressure that's mounting from within the church. And it's because we don't know what the scriptures say about the new covenant or what the scriptures say in the Old Testament. And so, that's why in this series on the Holy Spirit, I've been taking you back to the Old Testament to lay the foundation so that we can't just come up with our own ideas of what Scripture is saying because it is going to affect whether we're going to be salt and light and whether we're going to stand. And many are already falling away from the faith, and Jesus predicted that, but I know that you're watching because God has put something in your heart. You are hungering for righteousness' sake. Amen? That's what the new covenant and Pentecost are all about. What a momentous day that was, but there's a much greater day still ahead of us. Amen? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Pentecost, thank you for your spirit. Without it, we are hopelessly, a a hopeless mess. We love you and we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.